What a beautiful day it is out there. Amen? Amen. Tell you what, I, uh, I don't know what people thought of me when they drove past while I was walking here. Uh, I was just peacefully whistling and taking photos of the trees and the beautiful sky. And I uh, thought, what an awesome day. So as we begin, uh, would you mind terribly if I lump everybody into one of two categories? Now, I know that's really difficult. That's like oversimplifying, and people don't like being lumped in one of two categories. Uh, There was an incredibly sexist television advert in South Africa years ago where various men or husbands were trying to offer their wives either option A or option B, and, and if you're kind of smiling inwardly, perhaps as a husband, you want to keep that to yourself. If you've ever offered your wife option A or option B, and she goes, no, I don't want either of those. I want option C. And so this advert was kind of playing on that, that nobody ever likes two options. They want multiple. But this morning, I'm giving you two options. There is no option C. The first category are those who would be called poor. Now, I don't only mean financially poor. Yes, that is one element. It's not strictly economic terms. In the poor category, I'm including those who feel poor in some other way. Perhaps poor in spirit. Perhaps feeling a little down. And even though I was pumped up by the sun and the beauty, you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. It's just blue sky. Get over it. (laughs) Maybe Maybe poor in a sense of feeling overwhelmed by all that life seems to throw at you. Perhaps relationally poor, feeling rejected, abandoned, isolated. Perhaps poor in the sense that you just can't catch a break. Everything you try seems to go wrong and seems to fail. Maybe in the category of poor, you could add your health. Uh, Poor health and and just going through or experiencing an ailment that is just not leaving and it's draining the life out of you. Poor in spirit. Perhaps if somebody were to talk about you, they would say, oh, that poor person. They just can't catch a break with all they're going through. Depressed, disillusioned, despondent, downcast. And I'll stop there because I'm sure if I keep going pretty soon, everybody will be in that category. So that's the poor category. You might fit into the poor category. The other category is the not poor category. So it's basically the opposite of everything I've just said here. And you're kind of like, no, that's not me. Yeah, I'm in a good space. Things are fine. Things are great. Life is going good. Uh, you know, rich is the wrong word because that still implies economic, but maybe that's part of it. And, you know, everything's great. And even as you come to church, you might look at people in the poor category and sort of go, well, you know what? God helps those who help themselves. So just get out of that little funk there and get up and do something. Uh, maybe in this category, it's, you know, I'm here because this is culturally acceptable. God is, a, is this fantastic social construct that I agree with, I believe in, I'm happy to kind of be there. But you know what? I'm not that overzealous. Because really, at the end of the day, I don't actually need God. Now, I've got everything I need. I'm comfortable, I'm wealthy, and I'm, I'm doing okay. So which category are you in this morning? As we continue going through the book of Luke, you're going to find this morning Jesus speaks to both categories. 
Jesus has something to say to each one of us here this morning in terms of a word of comfort, in terms of a word of acceptance, a word of, of grace, as well as perhaps a word of instruction, a word of rebuke. And so this morning, I would encourage you to listen to the words of Jesus as we journey. If you're visiting with us, we've been going through the book of Luke over the last couple of weeks. And this morning, we continue that journey in Luke chapter 4, from verses 14 to 30. It'll be up on the screen behind me. You're welcome to read there. Otherwise, a Bible in front of you or on your phone, and you can follow along. Luke chapter 4, verse 14 onwards. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, to the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I want to link this morning to a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 to 14 and 26 to 27. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. In a moment, I want to play just a, a short music, a song with the lyrics up on the screen. I want to do that because I can't sing and it would massacre it for you. But I want this concept of this song. It's a well-known song done by Casting Crowns. It came out in 2003, I think it was. Uh, Some of you will know it. Maybe some of you don't. But read the words and allow those words to wash over you. Because as we look at Luke chapter 4 and in that passage from 1 Corinthians, tying them together, this is the theme I want hanging in the back of your mind as we go through. So if you can play that music video for us. Why aren't his arms reaching? 
I did that because I would rather have a you know, challenge given to you with a nice catchy melody in the background. But as we go through this passage of Luke this morning, I want that question and that challenge, not as a sense of guilt, but as a sense of challenge by the Holy Spirit saying, if we are the body and we receive this message and we cling to Christ with hope, why do we keep that to ourselves? Why do we not share it? You know, as we read through that passage from the Gospel of Luke, it's really the beginning of the next major chunk of Scripture. Luke chapter 4, from about verse 14, all the way through to chapter 9, verse 50, describes Jesus' ministry. Uh, It's dominated by teaching and miracles. And the whole way through, there's this question that keeps coming over, who is Jesus? Who is this man? Who is this person? You know, we, we thought we knew him. We thought we know his family. Who is this? And I would argue that is still the same question today. And it's a question that each one of us have to wrestle with and have to grapple with. Who is Jesus? As we go through those passages from Luke 4 all the way through to Luke chapter 9, various labels, various titles will be given throughout, like teacher, prophet, uh, all sorts. And it's only going to be in chapter 9, verse 18 to 20, where the truth finally comes out. As Peter declares, you are the Christ of God. You are the anointed one of God. And of course, that messianic role will develop as we go through the next couple of weeks. But for today and next week, we're going to focus on chapter 4, verse 14, all the way through to verse 44. Two parts, if you will. Because in this portion, Luke summarizes Jesus' teaching and his healing ministry. In fact, if you, if you imagine it like this, and I'm so thrilled that Jennifer was talking a little bit about Endgame there and didn't give away any spoilers. Dylan's watching it tonight, so he was like this, and Isla was up on stage blocking her ears as well, and maybe there were others going, please don't give anything away. Um, but Luke 4, verse 14 to 44, is a trailer of what's to come for the rest of Jesus' ministry. But the problem is, Luke gives away the spoiler. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Love conquers, love overcomes. And so in these two sections, Luke refers and summarizes Jesus' teaching and his healing ministry. So today we're going to look at the first part, and next week we'll have a look at the healing side of his ministry. And as we're going to see both today and next week and through the rest of Luke, uh, Jesus, Luke loves to point out that what Jesus does is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Luke shows what it looks like when somebody walks in obedience to the prompting of the Spirit. He did that in the portion beforehand where Jesus is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tried and tested and tempted. And now again, under the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And again next week as we look at the healing, responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And that should give us hope. It should fill us with an incredible sense of hope to say, well, hold on. Jesus later on says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And just as you've seen me respond to that prompting, so you too can do that. We often think to ourselves, well, Jesus was God in the flesh. And we emphasize Jesus was God. And everything he did was because he was God. And well, I can't do that. And Jesus goes, no, I, I was man. In the flesh. 
What I did, I did under the power of the Holy Spirit and the prompting. And it fills us with hope. And I think this is why Luke loves just pointing out over and over again, respond to the Holy Spirit. Of course, as we read in this account, we see that news about Jesus is quite understandably spreading throughout the region. People hear his teaching and they respond by praising him. This teaching teaching accompanied by miracles is foreign to them. Interestingly enough, when Luke talks about this praise, the word he uses is doxazo, which is normally used when speaking about praising God. And kind of you go, whoa, wait a minute, Luke gets it. Luke knows who Jesus is, and Luke sees the crowds praising him, and they just think they're complimenting. They just think they're going, hey, you're so amazing, we've never seen anything like this, this is just incredible. And Luke says, that's not just those compliments, that's praise. They are praising God, even though they might not realize who they are praising. And they praise and they, they, they will touch on that a little bit more in a moment, even though they don't know who he is. And that's why in verse 22, they go, isn't this Joseph's son? However, in this passage, Jesus gives us a far greater understanding of who he is and what he has come to do. According to his custom, we read Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And of course, for us to appreciate what happens in a Sabbath, we need to understand some of the context. And we need to understand an order of service that takes place in the synagogue. Our knowledge comes about these services from reading the Mishnah, which is the Jewish written record of their law. So to have a service in the synagogue, you needed at least 10 men present. And the congregation would recite the Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and on it goes. And if you want to read that, that's what they would recite. They would then share a prayer. And then there would be a reading from God's law, the Torah, followed by a reading from the prophets. The text would be read in Hebrew and translated into Aramaic, the language of the region. And then there would be an exposition, usually that ties those readings together. Now, what I'm doing right now is a little bit misleading. I'm standing teaching. In the synagogue, that's not what would happen. The teacher would sit down. Which I'm in favor for, actually. I don't mind a seat here. So when Jesus reads the passage of Scripture, rolls it closed, and sits down, there's a reason all the eyes are intently staring at him. They're waiting for exposition. They're waiting for teaching. And we, we get this, we see it, and we understand it, because Jesus doesn't only cite Isaiah 61, the one he's just read, he also refers to Isaiah 58. There's an allusion to that one, as well as some of the Proverbs and a couple of other scripture references. And the text begins by declaring the Spirit is upon the speaker. Now, in the context of Isaiah, the remarks foresee a prophetic figure who declares the arrival of divine salvation for the nation. And Jesus now speaks about fulfilling this text. Can you pause and think about that for a moment? You see, we read this story so often, it, sometimes it's lost on us. Let me find somebody I can, I can pick on and use as, a, as an example who might not feel too embarrassed. Brian. Brian's the volunteer up front. Can you imagine me saying, okay, Brian, come and read some scripture. Here's, here's the scroll. Brian comes up to the front, opens up to the scroll. 
And it's a prophetic reading that we've heard many a time. It's been read for centuries before us. And so Brian starts reading this messianic prophecy. And we're comforted by the words. Maybe even we offer up a prayer. Oh, Lord, when will you fulfill this? When will you send the Messiah to save us? And then Brian closes the scroll. And he goes, well, here I am. It's fulfilled. There would probably be some awkward silence. Maybe some awkward shuffles. Some people might look at his wife. There might be a few murmurings. People kind of like, wait, what did he just say? And at some point, somebody filled with righteous indignation would stand up on behalf of the congregation and say, Brian, you are deluded. Sit down and shut up. Okay, that's enough poking fun at Brian. But that's what would happen. If somebody stood up here claiming to be the fulfillment of God's prophecy, the Messiah is now in your midst. Can you understand now why they ask the question, wait a minute, isn't that Joseph's son? We know this kid. He grew up here. This isn't the Messiah. Isn't it any wonder why they want to take him to the cliff and just throw him off? He is guilty of blasphemy. He's declaring himself to be God. Powerful right there. Jesus stands. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus has come for a purpose. Jesus has a message and a mission. His task and his message has an audience. It's the poor. When we read through the Old Testament, and Luke refers to it as well, this poor is, is the pious poor. Those who know they are poor in some regard. Those who know they need Jesus Christ, or, or they need God, sorry, they need the Messiah. They cannot save themselves. They must cry out for help. These are the humble whom God will exalt and who, like the prophets, suffer for being open to God. And they're open to God and His way since they are frequently the first to recognize how much they need God. You know, every time I, I drive out on 16th and I head out east and you kind of get into Langley, there's a big sign that says you're now entering the township of Langley. And I know for many of you, you, it, you, know, you go past it all the time. Now you can look at it when you drive past there next. For the average South African, township means something very different to the average Canadian. A township in South Africa is where the poorest of the poor live. It's much like a shanty town. These are lean-to corrugated iron structures. Uh, there's no running water. There are no toilets. They're just pits in different places. It is the poor of the poor. And in Cape Town, we've got quite a big one called Crossroads. When I was at Pinelands Baptist, our youth pastor was doing some ministry in Crossroads. And he was chatting with one of the local pastors. And in this conversation with the local pastor, he was blown away at the level of faith that he found in this community. And his reasoning was, I don't understand. Like they've got nothing. You, you, there is nothing here. Why is there such strong faith? And this local pastor said, no, it is you who don't understand. 
It is precisely because we have nothing that we cling to God. Because God is all we have. We have faith in God. We cry out to him. It is to these people that Jesus proclaims release. And proclaims recovery of sight for the blind. And proclaims freedom from oppression. Those who know they have nothing apart from him. In this passage, Jesus reads from Isaiah 61. But Isaiah 61 is actually a response to Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 58, God makes a complaint against the nation of Israel for not living out her calling in proper Sabbath worship. Israel has failed to be the source of liberty for those who are oppressed. And so Jesus will therefore do what Israel has failed to do. He will bring about the salvation of God and free those who suffer from oppression. That's part of why he's here. And so this is why Jesus can speak of the arrival of the year of the Lord's favor. That phrase that explicitly alludes to the release that came in the year of Jubilee. In a brief summary, really, Jesus has just preached a three-point sermon. His three points are, firstly, he is anointed by the Spirit to perform a specific ministry. He is the prophetic figure, secondly, who declares the arrival of the new era. And thirdly, he will actually bring about the release that he proclaims. In this, Jesus declares, I am both prophet and Messiah. Is there any wonder why the crowds were offended? Is there any wonder why the crowds wanted to take him out and throw him off the cliff? You see, that kind of reaction that Jesus gets reminds us that Jesus does not fit humanity's expectations about the origin and person of God's decisive agent. Some people, even today, never get past Jesus' background. How could the God of the universe, this eternal, immortal, all-powerful creator who spoke and it came to be, how could the God of the universe manifest his glorious presence and message in someone with such a humble background and origin? And of course, The answer comes in part in Jesus' own message. He preaches to the pious poor. Those who reach out to him because he is someone who identifies with them. He comes from that background. So the picture of a grand, regal, and elite Messiah that most expected, and the fact that Jesus was merely Joseph's son, is too much for them. In fact, we see that echoed in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verse 46, when Jesus is announced and it's, he's come from Nazareth, the question is, can anything good come from Nazareth? The answer being no. No, how can anything good come? Surely not the Messiah. But as we see in both the birth story and the conclusion at the cross at Easter last week, God sometimes surprises us by the way he works and the way he chooses to reveal himself. So what's the point? What do I do with these verses? Jesus has preached a simple message and the crowds reject him and want to kill him. That's a great story. 
Brian, what do we do with this? Well, the answer is exactly that. It's wrapped up in the fact that firstly, Jesus preached a simple message. And the flip side of that coin is he was rejected for his simple message. That simple message that there is hope for the outcast. There is hope for the marginalized. There is hope for the hopeless and the helpless. The man Jesus Christ is indeed the hope of the world. Jesus' simple message was that he would bring freedom to those who know they cannot solve their own dilemma. Jesus will bring freedom to those who are not so proud that they will not cry out for help. My friends, were you in or are you in the poor category this morning? Jesus offers redemption. Jesus offers hope. Jesus offers salvation to those who know they need and to those who will cry out. To those who will raise hands and say, Jesus, help me, save me. The simple message that Jesus preached, we call it the gospel, the good news. And the good news is that there is life in no other name than in the name of Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no other source than the name of Jesus Christ. And we are invited to receive this gift by grace through faith. But then, as we receive, as we cry out, as we discover salvation in life, so we're commanded to go and to preach, to go and to share. To borrow a few lines from that song we just heard, if we're the body, if we've received this, then why are his feet not going? Why are his hands not healing? Why are his words not teaching? Jesus preached a simple message. To we who have received that message, now we are tasked to go and preach that message. But just as Jesus was despised and rejected for his message... Because that message called people to repentance and life changed. It called people to dependence on him and not on themselves. He was hated and despised. And we too will be hated and despised if we echo the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Especially in relation to the marginalized and to those in desperate need. Now hear me. I'm not saying that we go out and become deliberately offensive as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is offensive enough. Nobody likes to be told that they need to repent of their sin. But we can do that in a graceful and winsome way. You know, the Apostle Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yes, there will always be those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will always be those who do not want salvation from somebody else. They will try and save themselves. 
But as we share the gospel, as we preach Christ, as we share Christ with those around us, no accusation should ever be leveled against us that we were cruel or callous in our communication. We should be known for our deep love and our care. We should be known for our humility and meekness in sharing Christ with the world. But know this, if Jesus was rejected and despised, we will be too. I'm reminded that even Mother Teresa had critics. How much more will we? Be that as it may, we don't pick and choose who should come. To borrow a line again from that song. We don't decide who should hear the gospel. We go and we share at every chance that we get in loving ways. And we leave the result to God alone. How do I close? Quite simply by asking, will you hear the message of Jesus? Will you hear the invitation to freedom? Will you receive the gift of life by crying out to him? And then, as you receive, will you go and share with the world around us? This life is not all there is. Eternity is a long time. And there is life and blessing for those who receive the message of Christ. There is hope for those who cry out and cling to Jesus And there is blessing for those who hear the message and go and share the message. Let's pray together. Jesus, we marvel. We marvel at your teaching. Simple and straightforward. That you came for the poor. For those in need, for those who were worn out and tired, for those who were downcast and outcast, you came to bring freedom, you came to bring release, you came to bring redemption. And so, Father, this morning, I pray for those in our midst who might feel in that place. Oh, God, let them hear the invitation of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And God, let them not be too proud or arrogant. Let them cling to you, Jesus. Father, for those of us who perhaps don't think we need, everything is fine. Oh God, would you show us our poverty of spirit? Show us how much we really desperately need you. And then, Jesus, as we receive life from you, as we receive blessing and joy from you, oh, Holy Spirit, would you empower us and anoint us to go and share that gospel message of Jesus Christ to a world in desperate need around us, to do it in such a way that shows the grace and the love that is only possible through Christ ultimately leaving the results up to you. For we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.